As uh, many of you uh, might know, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, I've believed in Jesus for as long as I can remember. Uh, and I'm so grateful for the family that I had and for my church of origin. Um, but because I uh, started, you know, because I was a Christian from such an early age, I was then a Christian in whatever context I found myself. Right? I, I was a Christian in sports. I was a Christian in the theater. I was a Christian hanging out with my friends. I was a Christian in school. Because I believed in Jesus, I took that identity with me wherever I went, as we all do once we come to put our faith in Jesus. But what did that mean? Right? How was I to be a Christian in school, in sports, on the stage, in band practice, you know, all of those kinds of things? I didn't really know how to be a Christian in those areas. Uh, my understanding at the time was that what set me apart from my friends and others was what I was not willing to do. Right? I wouldn't swear. I wouldn't watch certain things. I wouldn't say certain kinds of jokes. I wouldn't listen to bad music, whatever that was. Uh, I wouldn't smoke or drink. In my mind at the time, that's what made me a Christian, the things that I didn't do, right? the lines that I drew. But today's passage tells us a little bit better how we are supposed to be followers of Jesus in whatever contexts that we find ourselves. We're in our series called the Sermon on the Mount, the Donkey Kingdom Manifesto. Uh, we are going through the Sermon on the Mount, which kind of acts like Jesus's manifesto, telling us uh, about what life in his kingdom should look like, how we are to live as donkey kingdom citizens and as followers of a donkey messiah. And today's passage is a great one if uh, you were like me, uh, trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian in the different spheres and areas of your life. So let's get into our passage. We're in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a uh, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. All right, so let's dive in a little bit deeper here. Verse 13, the beginning of our passage for today, talks about being salt for the earth. And it warns us to not lose our saltiness. So, you know, from this verse, it's pretty plain that we want to be salt. We don't want to lose our salt essence. Um, otherwise, then we're pretty much useless if that happens. But what does, that, what does that mean, to be salt for the earth? Well, starting back at the time of this writing, salt had a ton of uses. And because of that, it was really valuable. Salt was very valuable. In the, in the absence of refrigeration back then, it would preserve food. You know, it could, it could flavor food along with keeping it from rotting. And, and it could bring out the existing flavor in foods. Uh, and... The, the preserving qualities are really what gave it so much of its value at the time. 
So I've heard this passage preached on before. Maybe, maybe some of you have as well. Uh, and oftentimes the speaker will drill in on one of these uses for salt and will then draw a parallel to us, right? We are to act as the spiritual and moral preservative, preserving the world and ke to keep it from moral and spiritual decay and rot. Uh, or we are to give the world a new flavor of love. Or we're to work uh, in people to bring out what God has placed in them, right? To bring out the image of God that has been placed there and help them live into those lives. Now, none of these are necessarily wrong. Right? They're all, they're all fine, and I'll even talk about some of those uh, in a few minutes. But given the variety of the uses of salt, many scholars actually don't think that Jesus was necessarily talking about one specific quality. But that he was rather making a broader point that we should be influencing the world in all of the useful and enjoyable ways that salt can be used. So if salt is a metaphor here and we are to be salt for the earth, what does that mean? Well, uh, let's look at the context that this teaching comes in. Right? It is right after, our passage comes right after the passage that we looked at last week. The blessed bees, or what some people call the beatitudes, which comes from the Latin word beatitudo, which just means blessedness. So that's where we get the word beatitudes. So looking back at our words from last week, we are salt for the earth when we are Poor in spirit, when we mourn, when we're meek, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, or are merciful and pure in heart, when we're peacemakers, or persecuted because of righteousness, or insulted and lied about because of Jesus. That's a salty person in the kingdom of God. And I don't mean like the slang term salty. Right, which is more like being a sore loser or resentful and stuff like that. So again, this has to do with how we live. Right, last week we talked about how a simple proclamation isn't enough when it comes to being a citizen of the donkey kingdom, living as a citizen of the kingdom. Um, it, you have to live like you want to be there. Right? And, and this passage here is about how we live, the choices we make. Uh, in one of my commentaries, it says this. The disciple has one great function, to be the salt of the earth by living out the terms of discipleship listed in the Beatitudes and throughout the rest of the sermon, referring to the Sermon on the Mount. If he or she fails to exhibit this spiritual reality, men will tread his testimony under their feet. The world has only contempt for an undedicated believer. Isn't that fascinating? Meaning, the world, the, the people outside of the donkey kingdom, will have nothing but disregard and disrespect for someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus, but doesn't act like it. People see hypocrisy. And even for people outside of the Christian faith, when they read the Bible, when they read about Jesus, they oftentimes come away with a very favorable view. Of Jesus, whether they believe his ultimate claims or not, but they can see when a Christian does not look like Jesus. But then, how can we lose our saltiness to not look like Jesus? How can we, how can we lose our saltiness? We're warned against it, but what does that look like? Well, it's when we lose those qualities that we just talked about. 
right? In, in the Beatitudes, the blessed bees. It's when we start to look too much like uh, the world around us. Throughout history, Christians have tried to combat this temptation by becoming super fundamentalist or protectionist, right? And this can lead to legalism and fear, right? We see this in the Pharisees in the Bible. That's what was happening to them. And we see this with many modern Christians today, even in the history of our own denomination. And some of how that's manifested now is that many professing Christians are using the ways and methods of the world to accomplish these so-called Christian ends. Right? We'll use anger. We'll use fear. We'll use violence to ensure that Christianity is upheld in America. But that nullifies our witness. When we excuse violence, when we excuse bigotry or hatred of others, when we tolerate ugliness and tolerate polarized vitriol, then we lose any standing we profess to have. We cannot abandon the ways of Jesus to accomplish the will of Jesus. That option is not open to us. And... And we can't discard his words either. In our desire to be compassionate and understanding, we can also just can't toss out scripture because we don't like how it makes us feel in our current cultural moment. There will always be something in our faith that puts us at odds with whatever culture we find ourselves in. And so we must stand firm. But in that firmness, we cannot lose compassion and peace. So we are to be Christianly salty. <laughs> the rest of our passage talks about us being the light of the world. And look at what it says here. Jesus isn't saying that in this passage, he isn't saying that he is the light of the world. He's saying that we are. But, but what, about, what about John 8, 12? It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light. I, Jesus, am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then again, John 9, 5. While I am in the world, Jesus speaking here again. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So is the light of the world us or is it Jesus? And the answer is yes. <laughs> But more specifically, the answer is, is Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. So knowing this, then, the only way that we can be the light of the world, as it says in our passage, is to point people just straight back to Jesus. The only light for the world is Jesus. So, if the, so the way people get to actually see his light is when it is shining through us. If we want people to see us, then we're quenching the light of Jesus and we're showing them the wrong kingdom and the wrong Messiah. I don't know if uh, some of you have heard this metaphor before, but it's like the moon, right? How the moon does not give off a light of its own. It is not a source of light. The light from the moon is a reflection of the light from the sun. And that is the light that we reflect as well, the light of the sun. Then our passage switches gears.
to talking about a city on a hill. Now, I've heard our own country referred to in some circles as a shining city on a hill, right? Referring to this passage. But this has nothing to do with a nation or even a real city. Uh, saying that it does is a deliberate twisting of Scripture. But back then, at the time of this writing, uh, towns were often places of safety. Uh, they would provide safety in the form of guards uh, and even just other people who were around who could bear witness to any injustices that took place. They were oftentimes more well-lit than outside of the towns. It was when you went out of the towns and cities that bandits would uh, quite literally lie in wait on the sides of the road, hidden away uh, for people who were traveling on their own, uh, and they could use the cover of night uh, when there weren't, and there weren't many witnesses, if any witnesses around at all. Uh, so a town at night would have been a welcome sight to travelers. And so too, we can be a welcome light and a safe place for people. So then we read that the purpose of having a light is to see better <laughs> and for people to see that light. You don't light a candle and then cover it up, right? It just doesn't make any sense. The point is then that if we are lights, if we are salt, if we are a city on a hill, the point is to be seen. The point is to make an actual difference. And what difference will we make? What, what will our deeds and actions accomplish? Well, verse 16 points us to that. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify you for being so awesome. <laughs> that they may see your good deeds and finally give you the pat on the back that you deserve. Right? That they may see your good deeds and think about what a great and humble public servant you are. Right? No, right? It's none of these. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our good works are to point people to Jesus. But how do we get our deeds, our actions to point to Jesus? Lots of people can do good deeds who are not followers of Jesus. So... How can we point to Jesus through our actions? Well, this takes shining the Jesus light. It means we fight for justice for disadvantaged people. We, we care for those who cannot care for themselves. We pursue relational reconciliation. We love our enemies. We care for the widow and the orphan. We love our neighbors. We do these things because it's a part of what it means to be in the donkey kingdom. We serve others because Jesus loves them and would do the same. And then... We say that's why we're doing them. Dang, I was afraid he was going to say something like that, right? <laughs> but how else are they going to know? Look, we, we know that words in themselves can sometimes be empty, right? But, but they're given substance and are filled with action when they're, they're given substance when they're filled with action and life. People have heard 
words for thousands of years from Christians. They want to see actions that back those words up. Uh, there's a phrase that many Christians will say uh, right after a tragedy, right? That our thoughts and prayers are with the family of the victims or whoever happened to ring the wrong doorbell that day or pull into the wrong driveway. And many people have come to hear those words as empty and hollow because no action is taken to prevent future tragedies from occurring or no action is taken to help provide relief for suffering. And make no mistake, prayer is an action that we can take. We believe, as Christians, that we believe that prayer works. Not because of our prayers, but because of the person to whom we are praying. But after too long of hearing Christians say, be warm and well-fed, and then doing nothing physically about it, our words often have lost their credibility. James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So, taking all of this together here, whatever Jesus meant about the salt, what is important about these two metaphors of salt and light taken together is that we are to be different from the world and impact the world with our lives in the same ways that Jesus was different from it and impacted the world with his life. So Jesus ate our food, he slept our sleep, uh, was tempted, he had friends and family. Uh, so in many ways, in many big ways, he was like us. He was like those around him. But in key ways, he was different and was a light. He stressed the practice of faith rather than just the teaching and proclamation of it. He loved those who were considered beyond love for some people. He made hard choices to love when it would have been so much easier and maybe in some ways more gratifying to hate. <laughs> Listen, Jesus was different from the world in ways that made the powerful hate him and the lowly love him. And that is the power. That is the love of the donkey kingdom. We need to be different like Jesus. Not just different because Jesus was different, but different in a like manner as Jesus, or in the same ways that Jesus was different. He embodied the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He lived the Beatitudes, poor in spirit, meaning he was broken so many times. He mourned and grieved. He was meek. He hungered and thirsted for righteousness. He was merciful, pure in heart, a peacemaker. He was persecuted because of his righteousness. He was insulted and lied about because of who he was. 
His preferred method of influence was outside like, the system of religious institutions, governments, laws, and, pow and power, and instead operated in relationships and love. We aren't just different because Jesus was also different. We are different like Jesus. He was different in how he worked and lived and how and whom he loved. So how could this have helped me back when I was in high school searching for how to be a Christian? How can this help us today as we consider what it means to be a follower of Jesus in our schools, in our jobs, and in our homes and relationships? It has so much less to do with our boundaries and what we won't do than we think. It has to do with our loving witness. How we embody the donkey kingdom lifestyle. And this is why it's so important to read your Bibles. Read the Gospels and Acts and keep reading them. Read them over and over and over again because that's how we get to know what the voice of Jesus sounds like. Learn the ways of Jesus. The legalism will drop from your shoulders. The, the pride and the holier-than-thou-ness that I used to walk in melts away. We will still maintain and grow in discernment, but our condemning of others falls away as we learn to be different like Jesus. So how can you be different like Jesus? And this doesn't mean that as we become more like Jesus, that we'll then become all more and more alike and so we're all just the same and lose any sense of like personality or uniqueness. Right? The apostles were different like Jesus, but they still maintained the same ways that they were made by God. They kept their personalities, right? So you'd better believe Peter still brought the fire when he spoke. Right? Thomas was still an analytic and used proofs. Peter, who, who, like, who came later, brought the same zeal and passion for God that he had before. You will still be you, but like Jesus in how you love and live. So how can you be like Jesus? What relationship, what project at work, what teammate, what area of your life needs light, needs encouragement, needs love? How can you love other fellow image bearers with the love of Jesus? As followers of Jesus, there will be things that we don't do. Right? We, we don't want our language to be coarse. We don't want our, our choices in music or jokes to be degrading to other people. But we want to be characterized less by what we are against than by what we are for. And that's being different like Jesus. So don't look for things that you shouldn't do. Go on the offensive. Right? Look for ways that you can add life to a situation. How can you be different like Jesus? I want to take just a moment for some silent reflection. In your own heart, where is the Spirit talking to you?
As you open yourself up to the Spirit's leading, I want you to think about this question. Where can you add life? Where can you add life? Does a person or a relationship come to mind? A circumstance at work or school? Where can you add life? We're just going to take a moment silently in your heart to reflect on that question. So just take a moment now as we think and pray to God for a moment. God spoke to you and brought something to your mind, to your heart. I want you to do something real concrete right now with this. I want you to take out your phone and I want you to schedule a text to yourself or set a reminder or set an, schedule an email to yourself to come later in the week, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday, to remind you very simply about where God was telling you to add life. We'll also be getting this Sunday on Monday, tomorrow afternoon, around lunchtime. We'll be asking the same question. But just a little something to remind you about where God was talking to you today. Because once we leave here, man, just stuff scatters. My brain scatters. But a little something that can remind you later in the week how God was prompting you just now. How he wants you to be different like him. Take just a moment to do that for yourself as we come together to sing to close our service.